Amen. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles and we'll be in Matthew chapter 15 this morning. And as you are finding your place, hope you found it already. Uh, keep in mind as we're studying the miracles of Christ, I want to remind you why they are there. Keep in mind the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ are not there just for some show or some spectacle such as King Herod wanted to see. Though each time Jesus performed a miracle, they were no doubt jaw-dropping, all right? But that's not why they're there. Not there just to draw a following, though many people followed Christ because of the mighty works Jesus did. It's not just there to show, just to show the mighty power of the Lord Jesus, even though each one shows that very power he does have. He has all power in heaven and in earth. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And each miracle we come to and see prove that point. But that's not the main purpose behind them. The main purpose is not even just to help people, all right? Even though Jesus did a lot of that. He helped people everywhere he went. But the main purpose behind the miracles of Christ, I want you to know and mark down and settle in your heart, is this for this reason. It is to prove and to show that Jesus is the Son of God. It is to prove and to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It is to prove and to show that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. It is to prove and to show to you and I today that Jesus is the Almighty. So every time you come to a miracle, be reminded of just who Jesus is, not just of his power, but of his person as well. Here's what John said about these uh, miracles. He, he wrote this in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. And many other signs, many other signs, many other miracles, all right? Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These signs, these miracles, these are written. Why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So this is why Jesus did all these miracles, at least all the ones that were recorded for us, to show that he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And understanding this truth and realizing this fact should cause you and I to humbly bow at his feet and ask him to be our Savior, to save us from our sins. It should cause you and I to come to Jesus Christ as our Savior. So I, I encourage you, each time you look at them, each time you read them in your personal devotional life, allow the miracles of Christ to draw you closer to, to Jesus. All right? Will you do that? Will you do that? Let the, let the miracles do a great work in your heart in this one, uh, and even this one this morning. All right? So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, and uh, we're going to be verses 21 through 28. All right? Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. And you can also find this uh, this miracle recorded for us in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. We'll read a couple of verses from that uh, portion as well. But for, the, for this morning, we're going to stay and land in Matthew chapter 15. And we'll find this miracle. The miracle of the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was grievously vexed with a devil. So we're going to see a miracle recorded for us that helped a mother and her daughter. Now, it may be of some interest to you to note... That of the 35 miracles recorded for us in Scripture, only four of them are directly involved with, with ladies. You can see that with the healing of Peter's mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1, verse 30 to 31. You can see that another, another lady with a widow's, uh, widow's son who was raised from the dead in the city of Nain in Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 18. 
You can also see it indirectly helping Martha and Mary with the raising of Lazarus, at, of course, at the request of his sisters in John chapter 11, and this one here. So there's really only four that are at least directly involved uh, ladies, all right? So let's look at this miracle together. And we'll be in Matthew chapter 15. Let's start in verse number 21. The Bible says this. Look at it with me. Matthew 15, verse, 20, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Thy, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away. For she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. If you have a habit of marking your Bible, I encourage you. We're going to land on that phrase very soon. But on that phrase, Lord, help me. Highlight it, circle it, underline it, put a star or ten beside it. It'll help you. Verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Her daughter was made whole from that very, that very hour. As we read in this portion of scripture here, this miracle, we see that Jesus and his disciples have come to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Now this area is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, all right? So it's there, it would be in the country of um, now, at least, in modern-day Lebanon, all right? And which is kind of inter interesting to me. But it would seem that Jesus and his disciples have come to this area to get some rest, to have a mini-vacation. They have gone to the coast. I say coast because Christians don't go to the beach. Anyway, just kidding. Come on, just joking. But they've gone to the beach, all right? They've gone to the coast, Mediterranean coast here. It seems to have some privacy seems to have some getaway, vacation, maybe some rest. And I say that because here's how Mark puts it in Mark chapter 7 and verse 24. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. So he didn't want anybody to know where he was. I'm imagining because, listen, even Jesus needed some rest from time to time. His disciples needed some rest from time to time. And by the way, rest is good. We need it from time to time. I'm, remember, I'm reminded of what preacher buddy told me early on in the ministry. He said, son, you need to come apart and rest a while. Because if you don't, understand, son, in the ministry, you will come apart. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Yes, sir, I understand. Take a vacation. I got it, all right? But we need to have some rest every now and then because rest, well, it's good. So I believe as Jesus and disciples have come to this area and we have no man to know it, they did this for some rest. They didn't want anybody to know it yet. Understand something. Somebody did know it. At least, at least one person. At least one person knew that Jesus was in the area of Tyre and Sidon. And that woman is this Gentile lady, this Syrophoenician lady, this lady from Canaan land, this lady here, of Canaan, Canaanite lady. This lady knew that Jesus was here and her faith is absolutely remarkable. Even Jesus praises her faith. So this morning, let's take some inventory from this lady's life and consider the miracle of the Syrophoenician woman, all right? Let's consider this miracle and take some inventory of this lady. The first thing I'd like for us to consider about her, number one, is this. Take note of her need. 
take note of her need. Look again at verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. She had a need. Now, we all have needs, don't we? Anybody here have a need? Amen. Well, I want you to know you have a God in heaven who's able to meet that need above that you even be able to ask or think. Amen. So we all have needs. And no doubt this woman is no different. She had a big need. But what was her need? We see her need in these, in these verses, especially in verse 22, when it says her daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. What does that mean? That means her daughter was possessed by a devil, by a demon. And you get a better understanding of this when you read the parallel passage to this, uh, this event and this miracle in Mark chapter 7 and verse 24. And it says this, And from thence he arose, went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon, entered into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. So her need was this. Her daughter was possessed with the devil. Her daughter, this young girl, was controlled by a devil, possessed by a devil. And this demon, this devil, was destroying her life. Now, would you agree with me that if someone is possessed by a demon and by a devil and is destroying that young life, would you say and agree with me that's a great need? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely a huge need. Now, sometimes when we read of uh, events like this in Scripture, where we find someone is possessed by a demon, possessed by a devil, it's hard for us sometimes in our American culture mindset to grasp just how bad, really how bad, this type of situation really was. We don't, at least because we don't see it a lot in our day-to-day lives. And by the way, I don't want to see that, okay? It would freak me out, I'm just being honest, all right? But we don't see that from our day-to-day lives, yet they saw it all the time then. So to get a better understanding of just how dire and just how bad this situation and this need was, it would do good for us to take note of some of the words the Bible uses to describe this demon possession. All right, take note of this word. Look at it with me. It says this, when she's explaining to Jesus how her daughter in verse number 22 in our text, how she was grievously vexed with the devil. So that word grievously, Take note of this word. This word grievously in the Greek is the word kakos, all right? And in its simple def- simplest definition of this word means this, something that is bad. But as you dive a little bit deeper into the study of this word, it has a, more of a, a deeper meaning than just something, something bad. Something, it means much stronger than that, something than just bad. You see, this word carries with it that this something here was not just bad, but it was absolutely terrible. Absolutely horrendous. It was something that was wretchedly unhappy to be around. It is this, listen, we all understand this word. This young lady and this mother, they were this. They were miserable. Miserable. When you think of that word misery or miserable, Think of something that comes to your mind. Don't tell them out loud. Just think of it, all right? 
But think of something maybe you've been through, even going through, that's absolutely miserable. That's what she was going through, and maybe even worse. But she was going through this misery and this miserable circumstance, not just a day or two, not just a week or two, but 24-7. She was in misery. She was grievously vexed. She was in a miserable circumstance of life. So understand, this woman and her daughter, they were horrendously miserable every day of their life. What a great need she had. Then take note of this phrase when it says she was grievously, here it is, vexed, verse 22, vexed with the devil. Again, in the Greek word, it's one word. That phrase is one word. It's daimonizomai. Uh, no, I'm not a Greek scholar at all, I promise. All right? don't, so don't, don't claim to be, don't ever, won't ever claim to be. But it's interesting for me to study these words out. But it's that one word, diamond enzomai, and it's where we get our word demonized from. But it means to be under the power of a devil. And according to Strong's commentary, the word diamond enzomai is used in reference to persons afflicted with severe de- diseases, either bodily or mentally. Now, as we look at this text and look at this woman, we can assume that this woman, uh, the young lady, had some kind of horrendous physical disease, especially as you consider in her text in verse 21, when it says her daughter was made whole. I'm sorry, in verse 28, her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Also in Mark chapter 7, verse 30, the devil was gone out of her and her daughter laid upon the bed, like a sick bed, all right? So it could be that this devil who was controlling her and absolutely just demonizing her, it would just beat her up, all right, destroying her life. She eventually got some kind of horrendous, uncurable disease type of thing. But whatever it was, whatever it was, we know this young girl, this daughter, and this mother, they were enduring some of the worst misery and suffering in their life. It was absolutely miserable. Yes, for the daughter, but also for this mama. Because I want to tell you something, as a parent, you hate to see your kids suffering. And all parents should agree to that. (laughs) You hate to see your kids suffer. You hate to see them in misery. So no wonder this mother, when she came to Jesus, what was the words out of her mouth in verse 22? She said, have mercy on me. And she said again in verse 25, help me. She was in misery too. So understand, this woman, this mama, had a huge need in her life. She was in great pain. Her daughter was in great pain. She was in great misery. Her daughter was in great misery. And they had a great need. But she brought that need to the very person that could help in her need. She came to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, if you have a great need, you have a great God to meet that need. Whatever it may be, God is able to do exceedingly above all we ever ask or think. He's able. But she had a great need. But she came to Jesus. But number two, I want you to see this. Number one, her need. Number two, her obstacles. Okay. Understand this woman had some obstacles in front of her. But what were they? All right. Obstacle number one. We'll try to go through these kind of quickly. But obstacle number one. This was the first one that was in her way. Understand her nationality, where she was from, was an obstacle. I can't say that word. Man, getting tongue-tied this morning. That's all right. But it's an obstacle to overcome. Verse 22 again, the Bible says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast. 
Mark puts it this way. The woman, verse, Mark chapter 7, verse 26, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. Now, some may think, what does this matter? Where she was from? How could this be an obstacle to overcome? Well, during this time, in the first century, it was especially a hard thing to overcome. It mattered a lot. You see, if you were of if you were not of, rather, if you were not of Jewish descent, then to be a, uh, to a Pharisaical Jew, that meant that anyone else that was not a Jew was considered a Gentile dog. And listen, Jewish people didn't have much to do at all with the unclean Gentile people. They considered them dogs. Beside, besides being Syrophoenician by nation meant that this woman didn't have the same background spiritually as the Jews had. That meant she did not have the privilege to go into the uh, synagogues and hear the Old Testament read, the Bible read, the Bible taught, all right? The Old Testament taught. Now, we understand that some of these synagogues, they were very uh, traditional and didn't really actually always teach the, the Bible. We understand that, okay? But some did. They still read in many, many of the synagogues in the first century. But she didn't have the privilege of, of hearing that. She didn't have the privilege of having the regular teaching of the Old Testament. She, she hasn't been around Jesus Christ to hear his teaching, to hear his preaching. She hasn't been around at least to see person that we know of personally the miracles that Jesus has performed. Listen, she, has, she is at least, at least 40 miles away from the headquarters of Capernaum where Jesus has been ministering and performing many miracles. All right, she's at least 40 miles away. And if you have a very sick young girl who is, who is possessed by a devil and as a parent, listen, you're not going to travel on foot, by the way, 40 miles away from your sick child. You're going to stay by their bed. So I personally don't think she's been around the teaching, preaching, and workings of Christ. But the Bible did say she did at least hear. She did at least hear of him. She's not been immersed in the truth, but she at least did hear. Listen to what the Bible says in Mark chapter 7, verse 25. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. So with her background, not being immersed in who Jesus was and not, under, not seeing the miracles of all he has, has done, it's even a wonder that this lady knew anything about Jesus at all. But somebody, someone told her she had heard of him. Look, she may not have been immersed in the truth as others, but know this, someone told her enough of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone told her enough of the power of God. Someone told her enough that ignited this faith in this woman's heart that she would come to Jesus. Someone told her enough. Maybe someone told her of the demon-possessed man who was in a synagogue that day of Capernaum. And Jesus cast them out. Maybe someone told her of the miracle, the raising of Jairus' daughter. And that rang, rang true in her heart. If, she, if he helped Jairus', Jairus daughter, maybe she, he could help mine as well. Maybe she heard of that. Maybe she had heard of the woman with the issue of blood. Then being, being, being made whole with but a touch. Or a blind man receiving their sight. Or the feeding of the 5,000, let alone the women and children. Or one of the many other miracles which Jesus did. Somebody told her enough. 
And just one of those testimonies was all it took for this woman to have her faith ignited in her heart and to come to Jesus Christ. So although she would not have been surrounded by the teachings of Christ, teachings of the word, she had heard enough. And I want to encourage you this morning. You may be here this morning and you say, Preacher, I cannot quote the whole Bible. And I would say, well, get in line. I can't either, all right? You may say, well, Preacher, I don't know all exactly the verses of what we call the Romans Road to be able to witness to someone. I can't quote all those verses. That's okay. You may say, well, well, preacher, I may not exactly know everything to say when I'm trying to witness to someone or the perfect thing to say when trying to witness to someone. I, I, I just don't know exactly how to do it. Listen, I want to tell you something. If you're here, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, born again. You know enough. You know enough of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's forgiveness, of God's salvation to tell someone. You know enough. And it may just be a simple phrase. It may be to say, hey, look, God changed my life. That little phrase right there, someone looking for a new start in life, that may ignite their faith, may ignite faith in their heart to draw them to the Lord and to come to Christ. You don't know. But somebody told this woman enough, and it brought her to Jesus Christ. You know enough as well. Tell someone. Tell someone about Christ and salvation through him and him alone. But she had an obstacle. It was her nationality, where she was from. She didn't know all these things, but she knew enough. Another one was this. Here's another obstacle quickly. It was her gender, all right? Now you're saying her gender, yes, she was a woman, okay? Oh, now, preacher's going to be sexist on this Sunday morning, ain't he? <laughs> no, I'm not. But I'm going to tell you about history. You see, during this time in history, in this society in which she lived, was dominated by men. It was, it was during this time that was not very favorable to women. It was not very favorable at all. They're not kind, always kind, always kind to ladies, especially where she was from. But folks, know this. Jesus did not treat her as some second-class citizen. He did not treat her like a dog. Now, as you read the Scripture, it may seem he was being unkind. In our text, in verse 26, when he says, It's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs, when he said it to her, he was not being unkind. Please know that. He was not. But what he was trying to do was this. He was trying to draw out her faith, trying to develop her faith. And by the way, eventually Jesus would praise her faith. And, and put her on display, her faith on display for all the world for centuries, for centuries and centuries to come of this faith of the Syrophoenician woman. Understand, he did not treat her unkindly. But during this time frame, women were not treated very fairly. They were not treated kindly. Then she had this to overcome. She had to overcome the devil. Listen to verse 22. Who was, uh, the Bible says, who, who had uh, grievously vexed her daughter? It was the devil. Understand, the devil is a liar, a thief, a murderer. He has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. And that's exactly what he was doing to this woman's little girl. It was the devil that had her daughter in bondage. It was the devil that was tearing this family apart. It was the devil that was causing this misery, pain, and trouble. And it was the devil that was against her. And be reminded again today, people, that we all have the same enemy, and it is the devil. Our enemy is not with flesh and blood. Understand something. I ain't your enemy, and you ain't mine. Hmm. All right. I know you might be a little tired. I want to say it again. I ain't your enemy, 
And you ain't mine. Amen. Amen. All right. (laughs) Guess who the enemy is? It's the devil. The enemy is not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's the devil. He's your enemy. And you keep that in mind. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, the devil is your enemy. Not flesh and blood. But understand, the devil was against her. And what other obstacle was here that seems to be against her? Well, it seems, at least in the context, it seems even the disciples were a little bit against her. Look at verse 23. But he answered her not a word, and here's what the disciples said. And his disciples came and besought him, besought Jesus, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Now, I don't know exactly why they said this phrase. Maybe the disciples were annoyed with this lady because, well, the disciples being Jewish, this lady being Gentile, and uh, they didn't want to seem that they had anything to do with the Gentile dogs of the day, especially as they had to go back towards Jerusalem and and come in contact with the Pharisaical Jews. I don't know. Or maybe they were annoyed because, well, they were on a mini vacay here, okay? And uh, they had done a lot of ministering and a lot of working and a lot of serving and they just wanted some rest. Jesus, <sighs> send her away. We're tired. <laughs> send her away. And maybe, it could be, these guys are so tired, they were saying this, Lord, just give her what she wants so she will leave and leave us alone. <laughs> That's kind of the thought that I get at least as I read this portion of scripture. They Telling Jesus, just, just give her what she wants. Just, just do it, Lord. We know you're able. Just, just snap fingers, do it, boom. Let's go get some sleep. Because, because of what the Bible says, when he, after he said, after they said, send her away, he cried after us, verse 24. But he answered and said, he's speaking not to her, but to the disciples. I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So it could be, he's, they were saying, Lord, Lord, just send her away. We're tired. Just, just do what she needs. Just do what she asks, and let's just move on. So this was another obstacle she had to overcome. But in our text, we know, as we read the rest of this miracle, we know that this woman overcame each one of these. But how did she do it? Here's how she did it, lastly and quickly. She overcame all of this by faith. She overcame by faith. So number three, notice this. Not only her need, not only her obstacles, but notice number three, her faith. I want you to know something about her faith. It was simple. And it was sincere. It's amazing. There's only uh, two times in Scripture we can read when Jesus said, Great is thy faith. And each time he said that, he said it to Gentile people. He said it to a centurion. Centurion's servant was sick, remember that? He said, great is your faith. And he said it to the Syrophoenician woman, great is thy faith. He never looked and said it to any person of Jewish descent that I know of, at least, when it comes to the miracles of Christ. 
because this woman was going on what little she had. But again, be reminded, it was, it was enough. But it's interesting to me how this woman, this lady responded from the very beginning of this meeting with Jesus to the very end of it. You see, she started out this way. Look at verse 22 again. Uh, and, and look at what it says. And she cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me. And notice this phrase, O Lord, thou son of David. So she came to Jesus the first way by appealing to Christ as a Jewish person would appeal to the king, or as a Jewish person would appeal to the Messiah, because she said, Thou son of of David. Now, we, we took note of this in one of our miracles in, in the past few Sundays. We've seen this when we looked at the miracle of the blind man. We saw these men come to Jesus this way. And we'll see it again in another miracle in the future. But what's so significant about this phrase, thou son of David? What's so significant about this title that was given to the Lord Jesus Christ? We'll be reminded again in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with David that his throne will be established Forever, You can read of that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. But I'll read you the last verse when it says this. And thine house, this is Nathan, Nathan speaking to David. And of course the Lord speaking through Nathan to David. It says this. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And all the Jewish people knew of this promise. They've been waiting, been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And this caused all Jewish people to long to see David's greater son, the one who would rule forever. So they were yearning and, and, and longing to see their king. But listen, as we come to this lady, she wasn't Jewish, but she had heard. Lord, help me. She came to him the second time this way and a more humble, and a more sincere, and a more special, simple way. The Bible says she came, verse 25, and worshiped. This word worship here is a Greek word, proskuneo. And it means to fall upon your knees, to fall upon your face. It's where we get our word prostrate from. And Mark says it this way in Mark chapter 7, verse 25. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came and fell at his feet. So try to picture in your mind this lady coming to Jesus. She already said, thou son of David. And he didn't respond. The desperation, no doubt, has set in. So she comes and she humbly falls upon her face. And says this, Lord, help me. She didn't say, thou son of David, help me. She didn't say, Messiah, help me. She didn't say, king of Israel, help me. No, she said, Lord, help me. She went from the title, thou son of David, to the title of Lord. Now, what does this title, Lord, mean? It means this. It means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. It means he's my owner. It means he has supreme authority over all. It means he is in complete control. What was she doing when she came and said, Lord, help me? She was recognizing that Jesus owns everything. She was recognizing that Jesus is in control of everything. She is recognizing that the devil's not in control, but the Lord is in control. The devil has been horrendously torturing her daughter. She knows and recognizes that this man has the very power to overthrow that rule and that authority in the devil's life. She was recognizing Jesus' all authority to rescue her in his situation. Understand, this simple title of Lord is profound and yet very simple. 
in every way. He said the first time she came to him on Jewish terms, and he was silent. But the second time she came to him as a broken sinner in desperate need of help, offering no argument or defense, just needing Jesus. And she said, humbly and sincerely, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. It was a humble plea from a humble heart and her own humble words. And listen, the Lord responded to that. The Lord responded to that. Listen, few people have ever fallen at the feet of Jesus like this without some kind of good response from the Lord. Lord, help me. You may be here this morning. You may be here this morning, you're facing difficulties no one else knows about. You may be here this morning and you're facing troubles, heartaches. I'll go ahead and say it, miserable times. And you're enduring those and going through them. Not not many people know about it. Maybe nobody knows about it. Because we all can have a good church face every now and then, right? You know what I'm talking about. But deep down inside, you're hurting. It's miserable. I want to encourage you this morning to come to Jesus the same way this woman came to Jesus. Not with the perfect words to say because you don't know what to say. Not with the perfect prayer to pray because you don't know what to pray. But come to Jesus this way. Lord, help me. And I want to tell you, as you come sincerely broken for Almighty God, He will help you. He will help you. Broken and contrite heart, O Lord, thou wilt not despise. Who said it? David. In Psalm 51. Will not despise a broken, contrite heart. Will not turn it away. So this morning, you may need to come to the Lord and simply say, Lord, help. Help me. Lord, help me. I'm facing a heartbreaking moment. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm going through this obstacle of life. You know all about it, Lord. Lord, help me.